Burns stopped struggling. When he remembered, his muscles went slack. Ford continued swimming from the lights of the marina, kicking harder, using his right arm to pull. He had a plane to catch. At 6.45 a.m., Ford was aboard Delta's direct to Newark, sitting starboard side, first class, reading the Miami Herald, a story about Cuba. Secret documents were surfacing now that Castor was gone. Disturbing. Ford had worked in Cuba. He had also worked in Central America, South America, Asia, and Africa. Ford had told Byrne the truth. His skills were rusty. As the plane banked over the Gulf of Mexico, he folded the Herald and cleaned his glasses. Below, wind glittered on water a mile from shore where Ford had untied Bern Heller, then pushed him overboard, yelling, Swim! At 3.30 a.m., the lights of Sanibel Island were bright. By five, Ford had returned to his home and lab on Dinkins Bay, secured his boat, was showered and packed. He'd also stowed cash from Heller's safe and the Rolex in a hidden floor compartment. Thinking about it now, Heller's voice, don't leave, I'm begging you. Ford felt an unfocused anxiety that startled him. A sinking sadness. A dense, unlighted space beneath his heart. It passed. An emotional response? No. A paralimbic reaction. The distinction was interesting, but unimportant. Ford was working again. Below... Green water became granite as the jetliner ascended. They'll think Heller fell overboard, escaping to Mexico, if the cops find him. They might not. That orange ankle monitor looked heavy. Hotel Nacional, Havana, Cuba. Farfel told the Venezuelan... More than a month ago, I warned you. Now it's too late. The U.S. government has Castro's files. He exhaled through his nose, touching a finger to his glasses. Amateurs. The young Venezuelan, his face lathered, sat reading the Miami Herald, Spanish edition. Farfel, the hotel barber, could see over his shoulder. Senate subpoenas Cuban documents. There was a photo... A good-looking woman, weight of breasts beneath her charcoal blouse. A powerful man with teeth. Co-chairs of an intelligence subcommittee, they'd been bickering about the files for months, mostly with the world political community, but also with the CIA. Five weeks ago. What did I tell you? The Venezuelan had a partner, an aloof New Yorker. What Farfel had told them was, You want the files? Bury one of the politicians alive. Bury them with oxygen, a little water, enough for a couple of days. It'll work. I read about it in a book. The Americans will give you anything you want. They'd thought he was joking. Now, because Farfel had a razor in his hand, the Venezuelan closed the newspaper. He sat straighter, thinking, He has cut men's throats. I wouldn't be the first. True. Farfel began stropping the razor, fast. A rare display of emotion for the precise little man with silver hair, mustache, and glittering silver eyes. 
They were alone in the shop with coken chairs, mirrors, combs and blue disinfectant, the smell of powder and cigars, a calendar on the wall showing Havana's skyline. The article means nothing, the young Venezuelan said. He was worried the barber would be insulted if he stood and wiped lather from his face, but was thinking it over as he added, I have good news. Save your breath. No more excuses. At least listen. Why bother? I should be looking for a way to disappear. They will hunt me the way Jews hunt Nazis. A boat, maybe. The Venezuelan stood and found a towel. To hell with etiquette. He gave it a moment for effect, but also to move closer to the door. Yesterday it was decided, he said. The grave will be dug. Farfel folded the razor slowly. We were going to tell you. The coffin, too? The barber's dentures made a clacking sound.